And my mom was kind of telling me like, once and for all, you need to stop hanging out with this very dangerous, quite abusive person who you're very close with. And I was like, we're gonna get married, you just don't get it. She put the car in park, pulled over to the side of the road. She was like, I got married when I was 18. And I was 18 at the time. And she was like, and I got divorced when I was 19. And I was like, I'll walk the rest of the way to high school. Thanks, Mom, for the ride. <laughs> hey, y'all. It's Lauren here. In the cavern. Sorry. <laughs> um, welcome. Welcome to Cavern of Secrets, the show about extraordinary women for extraordinary everybodies. <laughs> and also... I don't know if you don't consider yourself extraordinary. You're welcome to listen as well. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, but this episode is with Carly Lewis, a fucking force to be reckoned with. This woman is prolific as hell. And not only is she prolific, she has been published in The Globe and Mail, Interview Magazine, New York Magazine, McLean's, The Fader, The Guardian, Atlantic, Hazlitt, and more. Uh, if you don't know Carly, well, that's unfortunate for you. And you should know Carly. And you should go look up some of her amazing writing. She is good as fuck. This bitch can write. <laughs> and she tackles things that a lot of other people aren't willing to tackle. And that was a big part of the conversation Carly and I had. And I find her perspective extremely, extremely valuable. Uh, And I hope that you guys do too. You can't see Carly right now, but she's wearing a banging outfit. Some (laughs) bitch stepped on her fucking bare toe on the streetcar. Her manicure's still impeccable. Yeah. Like, you don't even know how good Carly looks. Like, we should have... Why aren't we recording this and putting it on YouTube? Katie! (laughs) That's what all the podcasts are doing now, Katie! They're recording and putting it on YouTube! (laughs) Don't don't put me on YouTube. I just said no to a TV request. I know. I was like, like, I don't fucking want to be on her either. Jesus. I was like, have you seen me talk? I can't go on TV, live TV. Are you crazy? Do you think... I actually think that, like, to me, you are a bit of, like, a legendary person, like, in Toronto, I think that your work is super important. I think that you've probably inspired a lot of other women in writing, like, and you teach and all that kind of stuff. Like, you do you feel that about yourself or do you feel like I'm describing a different person? <laughs> hmm. I don't think that I would self-identify as a Toronto legend. <laughs> I'm not Drake, you know? I'm not. Who are the Toronto legends? Cardinal Fischel, yeah. um, Master T, mm. uh, unfortunately, maybe the Toronto Spider-Man guy. <laughs> But I feel like there's a quote somewhere out there right now about like being actually I, I might actually just be misquoting like one of those inspirational quote Instagram cards that. and yeah, misattributing yeah. it to like Patty Smith or something whose book I'm reading right now. <laughs> so I'm not sure where this originated. But the thought is that, you know, you should strive to be the person who you needed when you were younger or you should what I what I think of often is like I try to be the person who my younger self would be proud of. 100 percent. Which I think is a product of me becoming a teacher in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I work with a lot of younger people in various capacities. So that is who I think of is I'm trying to make 16 year old girls think that I'm cool. I'm no longer care about people who are in their thirties and beyond. Yeah, man. I definitely like that. A similar sentiment to that really got me through a part of my life where I was like dealing with shit with my mom who I like no Mm -hmm. longer speak to. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine said to me, 
like when you're a kid, you don't get to set boundaries. And when you're an adult, you get to look out for the kid that you were. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes like an infinite amount of sense to me. Mm -hmm. Like this idea that like you owe it to like, for lack of a better word, your inner child. Mm -hmm. But I think about that girl a lot. Like there's there's this picture of me that was taken in August 1988. So I was two years old and I'm like, you know, a tiny baby. I have bangs and I'm wearing a pink coat and I'm sitting like on the shore of a lake fully like submerged in the water. Like, okay, mom and dad, where did you, why did you drop me off in this <laughs> this muck? But so there's this picture of me and it's like, it's on my parents' fridge at home and it's like my favorite childhood photo of me. And there's this like look in this girl's eyes, the girl being me, where she's like very content and she's oh she's with ducks there are ducks like floating around her as she's just sitting on this mucky shore like getting soaking wet and there's also this look in her eyes that's kind of like toughened Mm -hmm. and i think of that kid all the time like i don't know there was something kind of like prescient about it or something or like foretelling and you know this idea of like trying to work in service of your younger self or trying to be a person who you would have admired when you were that age i like i think of that that little kid all the time yeah. I find myself often trying to give like all of my students a lot of agency in their own educations. Like we have the climate strike coming up on Friday and I sent an email out like, do you guys want to go to the climate strike or do you want to come to class? And one of my students wrote me back and said, I really like our class, but the planet is dying. <laughs> <laughs> it's like absolutely fair. That's a totally fair sentiment. Yeah. <laughs> The class will happen next Friday. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even at this stage before they're released into the workforce, I want to give them this, like, uh, I, I want them to build a, a mechanism of advocating for themselves mm-hmm. and thinking about the best thing for them and making that choice. Because I think there's so many things in life that are so instructional and that applies to gender and that that is stuff that you learn in school and that mm-hmm. is stuff that you learn based on the gender that you live in. And so this is like a a small thing that is kind of a bit, what's the word? I'm extrapolating a lot, but there's like a lot of things that I try to integrate into my teaching Mm -hmm. where I'm like, no, you decide what the next thing Mm -hmm. we do is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think as a young person, you're very often taught to not have a sense of agency Mm -hmm. and to not have the ability to advocate for yourself. So... Mm. I think that's super important and it's super important to have an adult say to you like not I mean I know you teach like college age chill mm-hmm. chilling oh my god children. they're so young I know they're so young they're right? so young and, and I and think adorable. about myself at like 19 20 like whatever it would have it did mean everything to me when adults who I respected you know came to me and and talked about that and made me feel like I had a sense of agency and make me feel like I had the ability to advocate for myself in difficult situations mm-hmm. or that I at least had a backing of people who would support that and would support my like making sure that I'm good and I'm safe and and things are are good for me you know mm-hmm. what I mean like I think that's super important for for young people to have mm-hmm. I also had to learn how to feel safe in myself Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was kind of a hard lesson, a a hard fought lesson. Like there's, I don't know, I think about the way that I've kind of, I'm a freelancer, Mm -hmm. right? Like I don't have, I mean, 
I, I very much feel the support of my editors and colleagues and the few times where it has been required that someone step in to defend my integrity or my work, they have had my back. But um, I'm kind of, I, I, as much as I feel part of several communities and as much as I feel supportive, it was also really useful for me to go through the experience of feeling like I was completely by myself mm-hmm. and learn how to feel fine mm-hmm. in that. And I think that is what has enabled me to be a good teacher and also a better writer, Yeah, I think. So we talk about community a lot and, and that is important and I'm grateful to, for the communities that I'm a part of, but it was also really important for me to like be a strong loner. Yeah. You know? Anyone who knows me has this idea of me of being this like ruthless cutthroat bitch who just like doesn't take any shit and says whatever she wants to say and like names and shames on Twitter and then, I don't know, goes about her day and doesn't doesn't care about any kind of recourse. <laughs> you know, it's just, but actually like I, I, anytime I have had any kind of like, um, anytime I have like, made a, a platform for myself that is based on like anger or or taking up space to be vocal about sexual harassment or assault or anything like that i have left that experience feeling tremendously guilty mm-hmm. um a lot of confusing empathy for people who have done horrible things mm-hmm. like that it's it's not this like kind of one single directional like, oh, I'm angry and I'm going to tell you. It's like very much an all over the place kind of thing where it's like, you know, you're a rapist, but I also have this incredibly overwhelming empathy for you, right? That yep. I kind of can't explain or articulate very well, but that's what's going on with me emotionally is that like, I feel bad for everybody. Yeah. And I think that that's like, I feel like it feels like in your brain that the through line to feeling good in a situation where you feel powerless is to express anger. Mm. And I think anger is like a very powerful and good emotion and it's Mm -hmm. a good emotion to express and it's not a bad emotion to feel. Mm -hmm. I think like people, you know, make it seem bad. I have the same feelings about jealousy. I think jealousy is Mm -hmm. a perfectly fine emotion to feel and I think you should feel through it and it helps you be a better person. But like, there is that thing where like when you let it out and you're like you are angry at someone and you say what you you say what you mean and you say what you feel like yeah you don't feel like things are resolved and i think that is a sort of like lie that we as society like tells ourselves that if you express your feelings and if you let out that anger then then you can sort of walk away from it feeling like you did what you need to do but mm-hmm. i think there is a lot of guilt associated with being mad at someone with being angry with someone and you know feeling compassion or feeling empathy for them on top of that and that's like those are tough things to reconcile mm-hmm. you know i think i feel like everybody has like a little invisible suitcase with them and in the suitcase is their anger and they're just walking around with it all the time right and for yeah. some people it's really really heavy like you're lugging all your shit around and are you know toppling all over the place because the bags are so heavy mm-hmm. and for others it's like maybe a tiny little handbag a little clutch you know those tiny little bags (laughs) um the amount of anger that i'm carrying around in general has significantly significantly decreased um as my power has grown over Mm -hmm. the last couple of years like i feel more powerful in my life and in my sector and in my job and that has actually allowed me to be less 
angry all the time. And I think it's because I actually have a path toward meaningful recourse Mm -hmm. at this point. Like if somebody is, let's just say an example out of nowhere, if somebody is like a perpetually assaulting the interns at their media company, I no longer am left to just freak out about it on Twitter. Mm -hmm. I can go to their boss's boss's boss and have a conversation with them and have some kind of accountability Mm -hmm. be brought upon them. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, the the periods of my life where I was the angriest, I had the least amount of power. Mm -hmm. And now that I have grown more powerful just by virtue of getting older, uh, I'm less angry, even though there's so much to be angry about, but I'm not walking around the world like furious uh, in, in the way that I kind of, used to be like mm-hmm. I think that people thought of me as being I mean it didn't hurt, uh, didn't help that Patrick McGuire went on Canada land and called me like literally jilted is the word he, I think it was jilted or scorned I would have to go back down and listen to the episode again oh, yes, which, which cla- quite frankly I don't want to do yeah classic words used to describe women throughout history yeah, yeah. I'm like oh my gosh but uh I, yeah so I think I think for a while people kind of thought of me like that but actually like I think what people don't know is that I'm actually extremely sensitive which is maybe also obvious but like I'm I'm I feel often like overwhelmed by how much empathy I feel for people who have done horrible things and that's a it's a weird sensibility to navigate as somebody who reports on this stuff Mm -hmm. and who is kind of I get a lot of disclosures and you know this is something that I talk about a lot with people and it's something that I'm in the early stages of trying to write a book about Mm -hmm. but yeah anger and empathy like it's when, when you have a lot of both of those things in you it creates a lot of emotional chaos and that was kind of the the vibe that I was on for a little while and I don't know. I don't know what what the secret is. I don't know why I'm not really there anymore. Wine spritzers. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the solution to everything, as I've <laughs> once said, now is wine spritzers. You know, I actually never drank white wine. I'm ha- I'm enjoying this because we you know we opened it together mm-hmm. as a family, but I feel like my mom, <laughs> which is a, a huge compliment because I love my mom. Interestingly. My mom got married at 18 and divorced at 19. Damn. Yeah. Legendary. Yeah. <laughs> Truly. Another not, legend not to my in the dad. family. She, she met my dad later. But uh, yeah, married at 18, divorced at 19. So it in, in hindsight, having this, this knowledge of this marriage that she had long before my dad, it's interesting how she really taught my sister and I to kind of like really, really beware of men. Like I remember at my grade eight graduation, there was a mixed gender sleepover that I can't believe I had the gall to ask my mom if I could go to. Okay, like I'm like sponsored by the school or sponsored by no, no, parents? no, just like friends in a backyard. Yeah, and, and I think it was probably <laughs> we were going to sleep like in a tent in an orchard or something. Like there, there was nothing sanctioned about this plan. Yeah, and I remember. I think this is when I learned to ask for forgiveness, not permission, is when I asked yeah. my mom if I could sleep over in an orchard in Grimsby, Ontario with a bunch of boys. And my mom was just like, absolutely the fuck not. And I was like, you're limiting me. Like, why don't you just let me live? <laughs> She's like, you're fucking 13, you yeah. dumb bitch. <laughs> Literally that. Like, those are probably the words that came out of her mouth. 
And at the time, but there was so much stuff like that where I'd be like, can I go to this thing? And she'd be like, nope, that's dangerous. And I was like, mom, your parents put you on a train to Montreal by yourself when you were 10 years old. Or like, you know, you were hanging out in downtown Hamilton when you were a child. So why is this what you think is the dangerous thing for me to be doing? And she really raised us to kind of, we had like the most, I found this so embarrassing at the time with this really strict no boys in your bedroom rule. Yeah. Which is so obvious. I, as an adult, I see why that is perhaps obvious. But at the time I was like, oh my gosh, like my un- uncool mom, like I just want to make out with this other 12 year old and my mom is just like cock blocking me all the time. <laughs> I get it now, but at the time it felt so deeply uncool. <laughs> The only oh God, I just have a normal parent who's like looking out for the me. The only boy who was allowed in my bedroom was uh, my my best friend Nick, who I've been best friends with since I was four. Um, he was allowed, and you know he he grew up to not identify as straight, and maybe that had something to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> but we were also very very close, and our families were close. Like we knew each other so well, which is all to say, back then I did have that presence of someone looking out for me, mm-hmm. but it felt so uncool. Yeah, I was like. Like, mom, you're just, you're, you just don't get it. Like, I, I just want to, like, live my life and be cool. Little did I know that when my mom was my age, she had already, like, had all of these wild scenarios in California, been married, been divorced, like, st- you know, started a company when she was 18 years old. Like, she'd been around. Damn, your but, mom seems cool. Does she want to come on the podcast? Come on this show? <laughs> oh, my God. Can we FaceTime her? She'd Mrs. love it Lewis. too much. She's absolutely playing solitaire right now. Oh, <laughs> I wow. hope having a glass of water because every time I'm at home, I like this is the hour that I condescendingly take a glass of water to both my parents and just give them this look like, drink this or you're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I stand there and I'm like, drink it. And they're like, we will. And I'm like, do it in front of me. Yeah. I find myself just <laughs> turning into somebody's strict <laughs> school mom parent the older I get. But but yeah, so I did have this presence around me who was looking out for me. But I actually, this is, this is I'm just thinking this through out loud. It's coming to me now. Like, I wasn't able to accept it. Yeah. Because I just thought it was somebody trying to get in the way of me and my fun. Or I, I thought that she was kind of being, like, too pure. <laughs> Yeah. Or something, even though she'd been married at age 18. Nothing pure about that. Nope. So, um, you made yeah. it because you want to fuck. <laughs> yeah. Or because you already did fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and you were like, Ugh. she wasn't pregnant. Although, here's something interesting. My birthday's May 23rd. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone here is good at arithmetic, but my parents' wedding anniversary is the previous November 23rd. <gasps> it's six months to the day. Yeah. So I'm like, who are you to tell me not to have? sexless fully clothed makeouts in my room with like a josh hartnett poster on the wall with, with the cool guy from the other school like let me live mom but she was really really protective about that kind of thing and i think now that i really rejected that and then have grown up and seen the impact of that on me or the influence of it i kind of am doing that to the younger women in my life also yeah i mean that's first of all like really wholesome and cute also, my dad was also married before he met my mom and had mm. me and my sisters and then got married again a third time. So I'm already like fucking up because my dad was married twice by the time <laughs> he was my age and I have not been married once. So so when I the story of how I found out my mom had been married prior to my dad, it was because I was in high school. I was like, I think I was in my victory lap year. So I would have been like 18 or something, probably about to turn 19. And my mom was kind of telling me like, 
once and for all, you need to stop hanging out with this very, you know, dangerous, quite abusive person who you're very close with. And I was like, we're going to get married. You just don't get it. And she was like, really? And she put the car in park, pulled over to the side of the road. I remember exactly where we were. We were in downtown Grimsby. And she was like, I got married when I was 18. And I was 18 at the time. And she was like, and I got divorced when I was 19. And I was like, I'll walk the rest of the way to high school. Thanks, mom, for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she's all to say this like wet blanket wisdom comes in handy later in life. And that's something that I try to remember too. So like, yeah, there are definitely lots of times where I say to my students, like, be really safe. Or I'll say to like the young kids that I mentor or like have relationships with, like, you know what, like, make sure you stick up for yourself or like, don't let anyone talk to you like this. And they're like, <laughs> whatever, like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, I hope it just sticks in, yeah. in some way. And eventually, you know, one day they'll see that I'm not just trying to cramp their fun. <laughs> you can have all the fun you fucking want when you're an adult. It's just never ending fun, isn't it, guys? <laughs> just paying bills and wanting you to You know die. what, though? I feel like I'm actually having a lot of fun. Yeah. I feel like extremely overworked and very stressed out all the time, but also like pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I go back and forth. Mostly. Mm -hmm. Things are bad, but then they get good again. And that's just life until you die. That you is suffer, just life. And then you stop suffering and then you're happy. I was having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day and she was like, I just feel really good and everything's good and I'm happy and I just feel like I don't deserve it and that things are going to go bad. And I was like, mm -hmm. well, it has nothing to do with what you deserve or what you don't deserve. That's mm -hmm. absolutely not how life works. Mm -hmm. I was like, life is a series of suffering and disappointment and happiness and it's all there and if it wasn't there then it would just be weird and stagnant mm -hmm. and like if you think that like being happy means that you deserve to be sad you're just first of all centering yourself in the universe in a way that makes no sense like no one's checking for you like that <laughs> including a god if there is one or including <laughs> the universe at large like things are fucking random mm -hmm. that's just what it is mm -hmm. like you live and ideally some good things happen to you in that time and then you fucking die. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is what it is, man. I've stopped thinking about happiness as like a state or or like a promise, a promised yeah. land or, or a quest, you know, and I've started thinking about it as like a like a fog that just kind of comes and then it goes away and then or a tide, a mm -hmm. tide, right? Like it, it comes and then it goes and then it, it comes and then it goes away and then but you know it'll be back mm -hmm. and then you also know it's going to go away because i think there's this tendency to try and like get it and have it and covet it and keep mm -hmm. it and just you know but but of course nobody has that we're all just in pursuit of it so i have just changed my definition of what that means I have a pretty tenuous and vulnerable relationship to the concept of living spaces because mm -hmm. when I was 19, my family's home burned down in a fire. I did not know that. Yes. And then we also had this little cabin in the woods, like three hours north of Toronto, that was destroyed by a tree falling on it. And it very much sounds like we're playing the insurance game or something yeah. like that. But I, I assure you, there was no... Someone's just chainsawing the tree in the background. <laughs> no, no, no premeditated shady damage. And trust me, the insurance company looks into all that very 
thoroughly. Um, and then, you know, I was living in New York City for a while and I I no longer lived there because I was kicked out abruptly, like when I was trying to cross back in the border after coming home for the weekend to Toronto. And then I got evicted from my last place in Toronto because my landlord sold the house. Like there's just this history of me living places and kind of being ejected from them while really, really wanting to stay there. Mm-hmm. I got evicted from my place in the annex, was really, really heartbroken about it. I was like the last person in a long line of close friends who had lived there, which I also had kind of baggage about. I was like, why me? Why does it end at me? Like, why am yeah. I the final girl of this house yeah, all the time? Yeah, that's when we lived down the street from each other. That's right. Yeah. And I saw you in the driveway. Yeah. Yes. So I no longer live there because the house is structurally decaying. This like young, very wealthy couple bought the house and they planned to live in it themselves. And interestingly, a few months later, I saw the husband on Tinder. <clears throat> yeah, I matched with him too. Yeah. Can I uh, rent one of those? <laughs> yeah. Can I have my old apartment back? <laughs> I'm like, is this the way that I get the house back and then give it back to the original owners who sold it because they could no longer afford it? Like, listen, there are worse reasons to fuck someone than, <laughs> than getting my landlord's house back for them. I'm up for it. I just got to like say hello, which yeah. it's, he's been sitting there as a match for like months. But um, so the when I got evicted from my place on Brunswick, it was like, I took it pretty hard. I was really, really sad about it. Finally, after a year of living out of suitcases and subletting and sleeping on couches and, you know, renting short term places and being all over the place, I found this beautiful apartment, a college in Dovercourt. I moved in. The landlord was so sweet. It just felt perfect. And then the third night, I heard this very familiar sound that I recognized from when my family had finally, after living in a hotel for three weeks after our house burned down, uh, moved into this you know beautiful old house on the lake in Grimsby, which no longer exists because it's a apartment complex now. But we moved into this house and we were like, oh, finally, like, thank goodness, we don't have to have Christmas in a hotel. Like, we, we can start unpacking, not not literally because we had no belongings, but we can start like figuring out what's next. Mm-hmm. And then we all went to bed the first night in this like beautiful cabin on the lake and heard the sound of rats just like mm. gnawing at each other viciously in the walls. It's such a disturbing sound. So we all had to kind of get up go back to the hotel. It was like very defeating and upsetting. And that is the sound I heard my third night in my new Mm. apartment after a year of house hunting and living everywhere and just being a mess. I was like, oh my God, rats again. So there was a rat infestation in my new place. And I lived there for May to June to July to August to September, not even four full months. But on the subject of just like accepting things, I have to just accept that something out there does not want me to have a stable place to live. Like something out there wants me to get used to the reality of being transient. Well, thank you guys for having me on. Thank you for coming all the way. It was an honor to be here. You were someone I wanted to have on the original run of it. That's Um, interesting because years ago when I made like a mental vision board about things that I wanted to do or places that I wanted to go, Cavern of Secrets was like right on there. Yeah, I was like, maybe one day they'll invite me. I just want to stay talking. Katie's making me leave. Bitch. (laughs) Just kidding. I'll never fire you. Do you guys want to talk about Vice? All right. I have a PSA. I got something I want to get off my chest. People always want to have things wrapped up in a neat little bow. And to this, I would say, in what fucking world has anything ever ended and been wrapped up into a neat little bow? And has that ever been interesting? In the same way, I just, I kind of think it's a bit weird the way that people are like obsessed with this idea of closure because it's always 
you want something out of a situation or another person that they probably don't have available to give to you. Also, if someone's been shitty to you, like if your entire relationship with a person has been shitty, what makes you think that that person is going to come back and help you to understand their shittiness? Unless that person has gone through a butt ton of therapy, they're probably not gonna come back and be like, I am exactly sorry in the way that you want me to be for X, Y, and Z, and here's a perfect explanation as to why I treated you like this, or why I did this, or why things ended in the way they did. That is just, it's not a fucking plausible thing to happen, and I actually don't think we should expect that out of other people. Frankly, I think one of the beautiful things about life is that we actually don't know why things happen in the way that they do, but it just means that things are changing and you move on and you move forward. And ideally, what you're doing is taking lessons from those things. So if you think about it from like the perspective of let's say a romantic relationship, when that ends, if it ends in a messy way, like you are never gonna get closure. The closure that you get, you fucking give to yourself. So you think about what happened in that situation. You think about the ways in which you were possibly wrong, in which the ways that person was possibly wrong. And then ideally what you take from that is a learning in how you wanna be treated and how you wanna treat other people. To me, that's closure. And that's something that you don't need to get from other people. That's something that you can actually give to yourself. So I think what I mean when I say closure is the fakest bitch of them all is that expecting other people to give you what you want because you think it would make you feel happier, feel better is fake because the only thing that's going to make you feel better, feel happier is to reconcile with that and to think about the takeaways or the learnings of of being in a relationship, whether that be romantic or whether that be with a friend or whether that be with someone in your family. All right, well, that's it for me here in the Cavern of Secrets. This show was executive produced by Katie Jensen, and our producer is Alan Payne-Smith. Our theme music is by Bianca Giulione, and our show artwork is by Nick Ilizada. Thanks so much to Sarah Daniel and Vicky Mochama for their editorial support. And as always, a huge thank you to Unchman Idemsetti, my beautiful and original producer. If you're in Toronto, come to our friggin' live show. It's gonna be amazing. It's on October 27th. It's at the Review Cinema in Roncesvalles. We've got great guests like Kyral Grant, Marlo Granados, and Mary H.K. Choi, plus more. You can buy tickets online. Go do it now. You can also follow us on Twitter at Cavern of Secrets. You can follow me if that's something you're into. I'm at Internet Lauren. And please subscribe, share, and leave a review if you feel so inclined. That's it. Thanks, everyone.